Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right, welcome back, everyone. Another episode of A Little More Good. Dean here. Hey, guys. Zach's here too. Zach, I got, I, there's been something that I've uh, been meaning to ask you for a while now. All right, shoot. I'm here. It's pretty serious. Okay, I'm ready. I'm here for you. How do you cool your lips <laughs> after a summer's kiss? How do you rid the sweat after the body bliss? How do you turn your eyes from the romantic glare and how do you block the sound of a voice you'd know anywhere I mean maybe you recognize some of those poetic lyrics from the incredible song Insensitive by the incredible Canadian artist and icon Jan Arden Oof, man she brought the heat. We uh, we just listened to the song together before coming on here just to kind of like get in this. It is just, if you haven't listened to it or, or are unfamiliar with this song and unfamiliar with Jan Arden as an artist, you need to go and listen to it because, you know, as as maybe cheekily as I was reading these lyrics to Zach asking I was trying to get the lyrics up so I could respond, respond. to your sweet poetry. No, but I, was I, was, not, I, was I was not trying to be I, insensitive. I was too slow to get to the, uh, the, the next line, but... Uh, how to be insensitive. Yeah. It is such a good song. Like the production quality on it. Like I've done some music. I've, I've, you know, recorded whatever, some, some songs and this and that. And it was like in a past life. But every time I hear it, just like the guitar tracks on this are so good. Like they're so just like tastefully played. And the bass is like perfect. The, the bass line is so good in the way it just like kind of carries the vibe through. I don't think we can play it, <laughs> but I want you to just pause the episode. And go listen to it. Such a good song. For me, it takes me back to like Dawson's Creek. Mm. Takes me back to like a whole era of my life. Like I can like just like live that whole preteen existence of like pogs and tearaways and like sweater vests and like like Tommy girl perfume (laughs) that I'd be like, you 
Is that Tommy Girl? Damn. Yeah. Um, like that whole that whole time of just like innocence and excitement and possibility. Yeah. I think like her music kind of defined that era. For sure. And uh, we had the pleasure of uh, having her on as a podcast. It's amazing. Yes. And the cool thing, I mean, what's great about her as a person is that you know, she transcends in many ways her music. Like it's, it's there and it's available and it's, you know, it will always be kind of like this, this record of that time in life. And so whether you come to it later or whether you like us and have these memories, these powerful memories like associated with her songs and kind of that time in our own world, what's really impressive. And, and I think, you know, uh, cool about her as a person is how she's, she's continued a career and leaned into her passions beyond music. And yes. really that's what we get into today with her. Um, and I just, I, I don't know, I find it always impressive when someone not necessarily like reinvents themselves, but places emphasis in new places and uses platform yes. to bring awareness to like things that are important to them. And There's an evolution of Jan Arden and she's like used this platform that she's created in such a profound and powerful way. Um, Currently, I mean, she's a champion of many things, but mm -hmm. she's uh, what we got into today was her animal advocacy. And she is a voice for, for the animals and she's a voice for the voiceless and she's a voice for change. Um, and I think if you have a platform and if you have people listening and you have power and influence, I mean, what a great responsibility to use it for good mm -hmm. and Jan is doing just that because so many people don't yeah right it's easy to be complacent yes and she is anything but which is really inspiring yes yeah so we had a great conversation with her where she really just like laid into some of the foundations of who she is now as this like advocate and activist and in many ways like is poised to offer invitations to the next generation, right? And she shares about her excitement of what she's seeing, but is like a leader and a cheerleader yeah. in and of in and of herself. And so it's really great. I got super fired up just listening to her. Like you could like, it was on a Zoom, uh, which we don't often do, but like through the screen, I could feel her passion. Yeah, um, like she she really embodies this this care for the animals, for for the, our planet, for for people and for, you yeah. know, an experience where we can all coexist together. So powerful. I feel like I was just like emphatically nodding the yeah, whole time while she's speaking. I'm like, yes, trying not to like shout out, you know, We're both a couple of bobbleheads the whole time. Yeah, no, it's very cool. So um, grateful for her uh, taking the time to, to share with us and be with us and to really enlighten us and open our eyes about some of the things that are going on, you know, abroad, but also like right here in Canada, which I think was kind of, shocking to learn so an important conversation that needs to be had and is like i think the starting point right and she talks about that like some people sometimes we don't know where to start and it could just be simply hearing a conversation or participating taking what you heard and sharing it and and allowing it to make some incremental but perhaps very meaningful changes in our own lives so so crank up that insensitive yes. and uh have like, I think it's four minutes long. Have a quick listen and then tune right back into this podcast. Yeah. Here we go. Jan Arden, everyone. All right. All right. All right. Well, we're here with a Canadian icon, legend, animal advocate. Um, you know, the voice that uh, sang to my slow dances at my preteen dance. Woo! <laughs> Jan Arden. 
Thank you for joining yes. us. I'm glad I was part of your slow dances. They were Thank so you. uncomfortable. I dreaded that in high school. I was just like, God, don't ask me to dance. Don't ask me to dance. Don't <laughs> ask me to dance. Maybe it was junior high. Yeah. But yeah, thanks for having me, Dean and Zach. It's great to be here. And um, yeah, anytime, anytime I get a chance to talk about animal advocacy and how we can change the planet, because I know people feel overwhelmed and ill-prepared to somehow get that empowerment that they need to get out there and, it, and it's not big things so i'm so thrilled to be here with you guys today to be able to talk about all this stuff yeah thank you we're grateful for your time um how did this path of animal advocacy start for you like what was your your kind of light bulb moment that led you on this journey yeah, God, it's, it, there's so many little things, isn't there? I, I've been, I was pretty much vegetarian the last, oh gosh, almost 20 years. Didn't, I never really did red meat. I grew up in a very rural area that I still live in, in Southern Alberta. So as a kid, there was a pig farm down the road from us. My mom even worked at a chicken, an egg farm for a while. She held the eggs up to a light, you know, to see the embryonic stage. And you know, I think she made like $2 and 70 cents an hour or something to make some extra money. And um, I just was around animals and kind of witness to this rough and tumble and somehow acceptable plight of animals that were under the, you know, the ownership of farmers. Mm -hmm. And um it just was, I was always uncomfortable as a kid. I was one of those kids that always cried when I saw them branding or saw them, you know, I remember the neighbors clipping the pig's tails and, and taking pliers and cutting their eye teeth or whatever they were, the little, they just would snap them off when they were little because they didn't want them. I, I don't know. It's just part of what they do. Mm. And I'd go home and, you know, ball my head off. So it was there. But of course I was one of those people that bought black forest ham and, shaved roast beef and you know well into my 20s and then sort of the end of my 20s in mid 30s I stopped eating red meat and stopped eating pork I still did chicken and fish and somehow compartmentalized that um I've been completely vegan the last five years so I think for a lot of us and a lot of people that I've met and talked to in my journey kind of fish and poultry and dairy are this last kind of threshold where you understand what is happening and mm -hmm. how it happens. I think the government, I think the dairy industry, I think the cattle industry does a very good job of cloaking their industry with this kind of messaging that leads you to believe that these animals have a much better life than the average person really um, is coming to understand because of the internet i mean it's say what you will about the internet man it it is changing our platform it is changing what people what the real story is and once you see it you can't unsee it yeah isn't that the truth right we grow up with this kind of smoke screen that's presented to us that a lot like you had touched on that idea of compartmentalization like oh this animal is a pet and so i love it and this animal is like food. So I don't have the same like emotional attachment to it, but like, it's interesting that when we're kids, we learn about all the farm animals and they're all so cute and cuddly and kind. And then 
some of them end up on our dinner plate and it's like, well, wait a minute. And we, we don't have that same level of compartmentalization, but then through advertising and what we see in the grocery store, it becomes like normal for us. And I think that's a really important point that you touched on is like the internet is starting to unlock that as people are bringing smartphones into slaughterhouses and exposing like what's actually going on there. Or even just these like large agricultural, you know, animal feedlots or whatever it might be. Have you ever seen or been to any of those places yourself and like witness kind of firsthand what it's like or? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it's, uh, I, I remember being in my, you know, my mid thirties and I had an opportunity to go to uh, a slaughterhouse uh, that was here in Alberta. And I just, I couldn't, I lasted, if I lasted 90 seconds, I, I just, they were somehow just showing how it was talking about cleanliness and how great, how they keep the, the slaughterhouse floor and, you know, the people that are employing and, you know, that it's such a fine run machine and it's done in such a, 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 a I don't know, in a way that's just supposed to be so great. And it's just, man, we, we, we just produce here. We get these animals in and out and they don't even know what hit them. And they really do know what hit them. I, I think I saw a bolt gun hit one cow and uh, I was, I, I cried for a week. Wow. And um, I, I still, I never ate red meat really after that. I just, I didn't touch it. I didn't touch pork. So that was, and I was also with a, you know, uh, I had a partner at the time that didn't didn't eat red meat either. So I just I just stopped eating it. But of course, you know, like I said, the poultry thing was still there and fish was still there. But you know, when you grow up and you have a government showing you a food pyramid that is so completely, it's just a complete bullshit. <laughs> and you know, somehow the the lobbyists of you know meat and dairy ended up as this the, the the sturdy platform that was bringing nutrition and you know good food value to hardworking Canadians from coast to coast and what they didn't show us was any of the horror that is is faced by any animal involved in this food system I mean they have no lives. People always talk about the ending of a life and that it's this humane ending and that it's quick and fast. Well, their lives aren't quick and fast. They are mired in enclosures and cages and feces and uh, a lack of light a lot of the times, crowded on top of each other, um, very little veterinary care. There's too many of us now. It's not 1962 anymore. It's not 1935 where so many of our population was in a rural setting where people had their own chickens. They had a couple of pigs out in the yard. And, and it was now, really in the last 50 years, there's an extra 2 billion people on the planet. And we also are looking at cultures like India and China, Asia, that have predominantly been a plant-based culture. But of course, once again, the internet in all its vileness and, and in, in all its kind of wonder, they're seeing a Western group of people eating meat and they want to be like us. And that has really changed the geography of food and, mm. and, and, and this desire to know we, we want to eat chicken 
three times a day and and we should be having scallops and shrimps and yeah lobster and you know it, it's just gone up and it's absolutely not sustainable you know you see these hideous barns with thousands and thousands of animals lined up um in servitude and you know you can't feed eight seven and a half billion people but you can feed 85 billion land animals like it it makes no sense so young people are doing the math they are looking at climate change they are looking at the lives like i was saying it's not the end of the life that's the least of their problem it's the life that they're living i think um it's just so hideous and and i, I it bothers me that people understand it and they they still go on about protein and hmm. well circle of life and i've just found myself distancing myself from people that i've even known for years that i just can't can't be on that page with you anymore and as i've gotten older that has surprised me that i we don't have anything to talk about <laughs> hmm. And it's been a hard thing for me, to, to be honest. Yeah, for sure. It, it, just kind of going off what you're saying there, it's amazing what we, I mean, it's not amazing. It's sad what we normalize. Um, you know, you can know these things and see these things and still normalize um, it being okay, the, the brutality and the suffering that these animals go through. Um, but one thing you touched on was, was, with climate change and the environment, environmental use. We're using all of this land. We've got 8 billion people to feed and we have food scarcity issues, but we've got, um, we're using all the land for, for cattle and for chicken and for pigs. Uh, when if we can, as you mentioned, feed 95 billion animals or whatever it is, imagine if we stop cutting down the forest and um, converted some of these cattle farms or our, our poultry pig farms uh, into growing chickpeas and lentils and corn and rice and all of these other things for, for humans, uh, all of a sudden we're not engaging in animal cruelty and we're, you know, supporting the human experience again. So it's like, it's just like a, a domino effect of, of good things. If, if you can turn those lights on and, you know, take those blinders off and, and see what is truly happening. Yeah, it's, um, um... It is remarkable. I mean, you'd look at the Amazon and, and we've been talking about the Amazon really for the last 40 years. And it's been this ongoing conversation that every pharmaceutical company in the world recognizes the power of the plant and that so many of these derivatives, I mean, I'll tell you right now, so many of, there's millions of us that have been in, you know, been vaccinated in the last eight months and, you know, it's, it's plant powered. And, um, we're, we're tearing down a part of the world for grazing cattle and for lumber um, to graze a cow that's eating a great majority of any of the soy or the grains that should be feeding human beings. Um, but it, it's, it will disappear. And, you know, you've had someone in government in a lot of the leaders in South America that I've turned a blind eye to this and they're, they're really thinking this is somebody else's problem. Um, you know, we just had the climate summit here in the last three weeks. And, you know, I think a lot of people left feeling like nothing really had been said once again, that they're, they're all, all the, the things and the, they're targeting and the goals that they're trying to reach are 30 years away. Mm -hmm. They're talking about things, you know, that 
it'll be too late. People are recognizing that now we're in trouble with water right now. We're in trouble with water. California is in, in grave trouble. And if you don't think for one second that we're going to, in the next decade, see a lot of pressure from our neighbors to the south that will want water. Canada has 20% of the world's fresh water, 20%. Yeah. We have a huge chunk of land, obviously, that goes you know, to the North Pole. And, uh, but things like that, the water that it takes to raise eight ounces of protein, animal protein. So now we have, you know, setting cruelty aside, setting all those things aside that most people want us to do that are, you know, engaged in that kind of thinking, you know, meat, circle of life, that whole thing, they're put here for us. You know, that's what we're supposed to eat. And that, that, that entire story that they keep telling themselves. Um, it's just like, the, the water is, is beyond, it's the, the math, it just doesn't, nothing, nothing makes sense on, a, on an ecological level. Mm. There's just nothing. There's no, there's no way to even talk around that. There's no way to even defend it. Yeah. Uh, yeah who, who, there's no one in government that can sit back, oh, we've got plenty of water for the cattle. There, there, there's so much water for that. All they'll come back with is, do you know how much water it takes to grow an avocado? <laughs> like, well, it's not anywhere near what it is to quench the thirst and keep a cow alive. Yeah. Go ask them in Australia where they've been in a drought, where they're losing thousands and thousands and thousands of, of cattle that are just dropping it, it, as where they stand because they can't keep them alive. But God knows they're going to keep trying. Half of Australia burnt down last year. I know there's these signs all around us. We've got flooding, you know, here on the West Coast in Abbotsford and forest fires in the summer. And, you know, I, despite all of this climate change where our climate truly is rapidly changing, I feel like a lot of people still aren't connecting the dots to um, creating action in their day-to-day -day lives. And I don't know what it's gonna take, but yeah, I mean, I think like sharing this message and having conversations like this is hopefully a starting well, point. Well, it is, it, it's, it's absolutely daunting. And the thing that people ask me on a daily basis, multiple times is I don't know what to do. And I'm always like, you know, it, it, I understand that, but it is a meatless Monday. Mm -hmm. It is one or two plant-based meals a week. It is swapping out your eggs for a little bit of flax with some warm water to do some baking. Yeah. It is seeing this movement that is massive. I mean, our government, just the Canadian government, it's not a, it's not a huge amount of money, but $100 million into plant-based proteins. Yeah. So proteins made from predominantly peas to make things like Beyond Meat, the Impossible Burger. We're seeing more and more of these brandings coming on the market every day. Europe is ahead of us. You're seeing entire meat counters being swapped out now with plant-based meats and sausages and charcuterie things. And, and, you know, young people are being so clever with making, I mean, go on TikTok, hmm. go on these huge platforms and see some of these young, hot guys and beautiful women that are making meat out of, you know, wheat satan and they're showing you how to, you know, massage a freaking few cups of flour and water and stretching it out and tying it up and putting sauces on it and they're, and they're frying it up and they're making it look delicious. And kids are going, mom, I, can we try that? 
because I don't want to hurt anything. Yeah. And so it is coming. There's no doubt. It's one of the fastest growing movements and, and everyone's trying to keep up. Everyone, I mean, companies are trying to keep up. Dairy is dropping in by hundreds of, of dairy farms in the last year alone, not only because of COVID, which has moved everything exponentially forward, probably gave us 15 years of a jump start yeah. in a plant-based movement because of supply chain issues. And these guys are just like, holy shit, I guess I should start growing lentils because I can't, you know, no, no one's buying dairy. They're not, they're just not, and they're not. You go now, five years ago, when I started down a vegan path, I used to try and find like soy milk somewhere. I'd go in and now I, I, I go into a Safeway or a co-op or a Loblaws or a President's Choice now. I have got so many choices of creamers, yeah. different flavored creamers for my coffee, uh, barista oat milks. Uh, there's just, there's things that are just wiping it out that taste better, that are so much easier on the environment. And, you know, you don't have a cow being impregnated by some guy, you know, every three years so that they can take the calf, kill it or use it for veal or whatever and take the milk. I think that's been a story. For me, the dairy thing has been the breakout story of the last 18 months. It has garnered so much of a move and so many people are getting on board with, you know, even what goes into making cheese, you got to scrape the lining of a dead animal's stomach to make cheese. Like the whole thing is corrupt. The whole thing is not right. Mm. And it's, it's, it's funny because people are so connected emotionally to these foods. Like for a long time, I was like, oh, I can like, I'll be vegetarian, but like, man, cheese is so good. And then you, know, you, you still, you still look at it and like, just exactly what you said, like people not knowing where their food come from, where, where their food comes from and what it is. Most people, like if you describe that process, they're like, ew, I actually don't like it. I don't want to eat that. Right. And it makes that you can, oh, you can have, you can have cheese that tastes good, has the texture and it's made from like, you know, a coconut oil and these simple, like simple ingredients that um, get, they've come such a long way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's amazing. Every time you turn around, there's some new plant-based milk or some new cheese or these, these innovative products made of plants that are better for us and the environment that it's hard to like it feels like excuses are running out right when you when you have big corporations that realize they can make money recycling anything metals plastics if you can make money cleaning the ocean you're you're going to find huge companies that'll do it if it is a lucrative thing to get the plastic out of the ocean yeah. people are going to do it capitalism is still the only system that's going to push us forward hmm. so greed even in the wrong hands can do the right things hmm. they can still you know if you want to make money on beyond meat or impossible or you know you know now they're going down the road of proteins that are replicated genetically in in you know labs they've they've rolled out salmon here in the last 20 months uh, salmon i say that you know with the silent ph yeah. and um that is you know from cells but now they're just duplicating it and making it and obviously it's very expensive right now but they're thinking that really in the next 24 months it's going to be very likely that you will be able to buy a steak 
that was made in a giant lab that will be really great. And it's like anything else. Nobody thought there'd be a car on the road. You know, when there's horse and buggies, there was guys that hung on to the last moment. They had their horses and their buggies and they were just like, this is never going to change. There was guys delivering milk to my parents, our house in the 60s. And a little bit in the 70s too, we had a milkman that came and left milk on our door. And we thought that would never go away. And there's so many things that have gone. We never thought we would stream music. We never thought we would hit a button and have access to hundreds of millions of song titles from every artist in the world, anywhere in the world, you, that you could download a book. Every industry has been affected by technology and how people make their way through the world. And food has finally reached, it's finally been pushed onto the table of change. And it's because people are making money doing it. I mean, as soon as Beyond Meat went public, I bought it. I bought into it because I know that it's here forever. I I think what we're doing now, um, even how we're treating animals, I think it's going to be a huge eyeball rolling moment for people 100 years from now. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I think they're going to be like, and people have said, well, no, but the last 2,000 years, you know, it's always been people eating animals. But there's always that break point with COVID. Who thought we'd be doing what we're doing right now? It's changed the globe. Oh yeah, it's watermark that's unchanged. So it, it's like this is, this is they're going to look back in fifty years, going, "Can you believe that's how they kept cat? They kept pigs. They kept hundreds of thousands of chickens in a barn, uh, shitting on each other, and people ate that." <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting too, like that historical argument of like, "Well, we've always eaten meat, or we've always done this," and that that statement may be true. But it needs unpacking because it's like not in the way that we have been in the last like. People didn't eat meat like that. They had no access. Exactly. Yeah. It was a special thing. If if people in Ireland had meat twice a year, I'll eat my own brazier. If you look <laughs> at you look at the the potato famine of 1840 in Ireland, which was you know it was more than just 1840. It was like six or seven years of you know, blight on potatoes. It just, they couldn't catch a break. Those people didn't have access to sheep and goat and pigs. and They didn't. It, you know, they would have liked to, but they just didn't. Yeah. You look at wartime, anything, in the First and Second World War, the black market of getting a little chunk of bacon from somewhere. You know, the animals were literally obliterated to feed the soldiers. And then when that ran out, it went to oatmeal, it went to grains, it went to, those guys ran around with oat cakes, hardened fucking oat cakes the size of a brick. And that's what they had. And a lot of it had bugs on it and mold on it. And that was it. But now we're living in a privileged society where people think nothing of the three meals that they have in a day all involved 10 or 15, sometimes up to 25 animals have died for one plate of food. If you go to a restaurant and order one plate of food, the chances are you're, there's 15 different animals that have participated in that plate of food, from the butter to the cream to, the, to everything, to the gelatin to make, it, it's, people would be dumbfounded. Oh yeah. But it's, it is changing and it is, now is the time and people say it's never gonna happen. I think eating meat is gonna be like smoking. It would be the people standing out on the curb smoking a cigarette that have literally been 
just inched out socially because it's just not what we do. Yeah, 100%. What, one thing that I've, I've learned from you, from following you, that really opened my eyes, like, um, you know, I've been tuning into all this animal agriculture and uh, all of this for some time, but I was completely unaware of, of what's happening to our horses here in Canada. And I know uh, you're a voice that, you know, stands to protect the horses here. And uh, you've created an organization or part of an organization called Horseshit. Um, for those that don't know, um, like myself until, you know, quite recently, can you kind of share um, what's happening with horses here in Canada and what that, what that story is? Yeah, uh, just briefly, horse uh, slaughter and export was banned in the United States in 2006. So it, it, it sounds exactly like what it is. It's horses domestically slaughtered and it's horses that are put in crates and flown to the United States or flown to Japan. It used to be done in the States and then they got shut down, public pressure. This is 2006, so imagine 15 years ago. So they moved their operation to Alberta, as you do. <laughs> and um, with that came a, a, an exodus from the United States of horses that were brought here. Even all during COVID, there was 150,000 horses that were shipped over the border. They come from Mexico and the States. They're everything from wild Mustangs that are rounded up by helicopters. Uh, because the ranchers want them called, the oil people want them called, the forestry people want them called because they're considered a nuisance and that they're eating grains that they want to give to their cows, you know, and that these horses, nobody really owns them. But then there's a lot of draft horses. There's a lot of horses that have worked, you know, pulling people around New York City or, you know, or horses that people decided oh it's great to get my kid a pony but now she doesn't ride it anymore and it's 400 bucks a month to keep it and all these horses end up at an auction they all end up in trucks they're shipped here because canada is one of the biggest horse meat suppliers on the planet and it's very legal here there's very little regulations in slaughter of horses but the one sliver the hideous sinister part that came to light for me was the live export of large drafts. So when you think of Budweiser horses, these horses are generally about 17 hands high, which would be, if you're a five foot 10 guy, it would be at your head, the shoulder of a horse. They're, they're huge. Yeah. But the Japanese, the Asian, the Korean market, they like the musculature. They are put four at a time from feedlots. So they live their lives in feedlots, knee high and shit. And like I said, from all over the world, they've already had a hideous life and they're put on trucks. The trucks travel anywhere from, you know, three to five to 10 hours to get them to the airport. Then they're loaded in to these wooden crates four at a time. They're electrocuted, they're hit with sticks. I've seen the loads many, many, many times, balled my head off, stood there bearing witness. Not an easy thing to do. I hate doing it, don't wanna do it. Um, but I do it because I got to a point in my life where I'm looking around going, well, if I don't do it, uh, why, do, why am I going to sit here and wait for somebody else to do it? Hmm. That's not how this works. So I just um, I couldn't believe that now they're standing in these crates shitting and pissing on each other for 10 hours before they load them. It's very clandestine. It's Korean air. Uh, when they first started in 2006, they, they actually FedExed them. They filled hmm. out forms. Yeah, what's, what are you sending today? Uh, 
41 live horses. 41 live horses. FedEx did a few loads and then they just said, we're out. Uh, so kudos to FedEx. They were just like, there's not enough money in the world for us to fly these horses for basically two days in these crates to get them to where they're going. So they go out every two weeks, 80 or 90 horses. It's five or six guys from this company. It's called Shorno that they make between 18, $25 million year after year after year. It's very quiet. It's very on the down low. And so what we've done with horse shit is just try to bring awareness to people, to Canadians saying, this is one of the only places in the world that we let the government of Canada lets this happen. They die on takeoff and landing a lot of the times because they fall on top of each other. They can't get back up. They have no food or water. They can be in the crates. You know, they always try and make up these stories and they're simply not true. They're lying. They'll do anything. There's, there's absolutely no regulations. They can be in those crates for 40 hours, 40, 48 hours, depending on even when they're um, disembarked on the other end, which could be another 10 hours. We don't know, but um, there's no regulations for slaughter there. And they're served raw. It's all raw horse meat. It's not even cooked. It's that's why they need them to be alive mm. to get over the ocean to get to these markets. It's very rich clientele. This is not hardworking Canadians. This is not feeding, giving jobs to thousands of Canadians. This is a handful of guys that don't care what happens to these horses. Um, and the Canadian government finally, uh, three weeks before the election took place, put banning live horse export as part of their platform for re-election. We had wow. over 80,000 signatures on our government-sponsored petition. A guy named uh, Nathaniel Erskine sponsored our petition. We had over 80,000 signatures. And normally these government-sponsored petitions get like five or 6,000 signatures. So Canadians clearly don't want it to happen. And as soon as they find out, they're like, what? And that's where uh, there's a saying in music, you're only as good as the worst guy in your band. Mm. And in agriculture, you're only as good as the worst aspect of the agricultural story that you're telling. So shipping live horses, uh, there's nothing in science. They've done so many studies. Horses are a flight animal, no pun intended. <laughs> they, they don't do well. It's why they're blinded when they run. You'll see blinders on horses. You'll often see them putting bags over their head when they're moving them because they, they, they just are skittish. Mm -hmm. And then they make a terrible sound when they're loaded. They cry and they moan and they foam at the mouth and they kick and they try and get out. And, um, you know, there was a guy that literally had the audacity, this old guy, old white guy, that just said, oh, they, they, they don't mind getting in there. They don't mind. They, when they get on them planes, they, they fall asleep. They nod off. This is the fucking bullshit that they're feeding people. He, they can't, they don't like me. And I, I will spend the rest of my life advocating for these animals until this is stopped. Like they think I'm going to get tired and go away, but I'm not, I'm just not. Yeah. I, I know what right is horses have fought for us in wars. They are responsible for us reaching every corner of this globe. You know, the cowboy creed, never eat your horse. You need your horse. And this is, this goes again. And I'm not talking about culture. I'm not telling people what to eat. I'm telling people this is not right. 
So yeah. that's what horseshit is. We are gaining so much ground. I think we finally have a hearing in January with the government to look at this. And they made a promise. They made a promise to ban live horse export, which will put Shorno out of business. And people are like, well, then what happens to the horses? There's lots of rescues that will step up, step up. And the ones that can't make it will be domestically slaughtered, but that will be the end of it. Because right now there's breeding programs. They're purpose-bred. So these little horses are born into these piles of shit in lots that you could probably see from space. And as soon as they're 18 months old, they're, they're shipped over there. Yeah, it's, it's, like, so, it's not like this is meeting some sort of need. It's like been created yeah. and exacerbated because people have found, oh, like there, it's, this could be very lucrative. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Uh, domestically slaughtered horses, they might get four or $500, $300, $200, sometimes 50 bucks at an auction. Uh, that's shipped frozen probably across the world to Europe markets. They're still eating a lot of horse in France, but the younger people don't. You, you know, there was a, a great story. Top Chef uh, featured a, one of their shows where a guy, one of the chefs, featured horse meat. And they took the show off the air. There was so many others. Wow. But, uh, you know, my granddad cried once in his life and it was when he had to put his horse down. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, you can't you, you can't live in a province touting itself as this out this this the cowboy you know the life of the the history of the cowboy and the pride of the cowboy and then have feedlots where there's thousands of horses that are deemed not valuable and that are going to meet horrible endings and a terrible frightening path to get them to where they're going yeah so we need to do better and i just people and do they do understand that i've had very little pushback i'm mm -hmm. telling you 99 percent. once in a while i'll have some idiot yeah horse meat got a half a you know in my freezer right now mm, delicious i'm like do you live in your mother's basement playing nintendo yeah. is that what you're doing there you go buddy but it, so the awareness has been really encouraging yeah Canada should be leading the charge. We, we should be leading the charge in, in how to be phasing out any kind of animal industrial farming. Uh, we have the space and we have the climate. Saskatchewan already grows 90% of the world's lentils and chickpeas and 90%. We have a massive opportunity to lead the world in how to feed the world yeah and right now a lot of it's being taken up by cattle we all have to change like i was saying about my world disappeared it went to streaming i don't sell records anymore i'm sorry that's what we do we change we adapt we move forward and when people try and stand in that one place refusing to move they get left behind and you will get left behind with meat, with fish. Seaspiracy, the first time people got a glimpse on what's happening out there. So I have no problem talking about it. You can't defend animal cruelty ever under any circumstance. Um, you just can't. And so I feel very bold and very empowered by the people that I've met, people like yourself around me, and by people's willingness to 
well, I'll try. I'll try not to. Good. One meal a week. You'll find your way through it. So did I. Yeah. So, the thing is when it's accessible to people, they'll try it and then they'll find success in it. And then that will continue down that journey. And you start feeling better. Oh, yeah. like, I feel so much better now than I did five years ago. And, and, and emotionally too, and spiritually as well. I'm not a hugely religious person, but I'll tell you right now, even in, uh, you know, th there's so much cultural stuff that you get. I find myself getting into trouble because, you know, with Aboriginal people that rightly so have every right to negotiate their own terms on land that was stolen from them and everything that unfolded for them, for them, for their cultures was hideous. And it's, I, I hope that governments all over this planet find a way to find peace and to make it right what they've done. But you know, change is here. For me, myself, I, I think it's a, it's a very difficult line to walk with cultures that are very dependent on, I mean, if you look at the Inuit people and, and seals and, but I'll tell you what, there's another whole aspect to it too. They use what they need. It's not an industrial situation. You would never see indigenous people from any walk of life, any culture, Inuit or otherwise, storing wild animals in Quonsets thousands of them mm -hmm. and abusing them and not looking after them. Yeah. And, you know, I get into fights with vegans about this all the time. And I'm like, it is not this black and white world. Hmm. You, can't, you can't live there. You got to meet people where they are as well. And we have to respect each other. Um, it's a different equation when it's like a small community and like kind of a historic approach then when you exactly as you just said it's like this huge industrial machine that really you would never see it happening yeah it would never happen you're right yeah it only happens it would never happen and everything would be used horn skin furs clothing and obviously those cultures are getting more and more marginalized as we exhale each breath we take yeah because of industrial farming and because of the need for water. What's going to happen to the northern people in this country or in any country? Uh, every, their world is melting. Hmm. And it's because of what we're doing. Yeah. And it affects everything. The, the, the balance is so screwed up now. But, you know, that hard line and... and Vegans will come after me sometimes. There's people in the community that will be like, you know, how can you defend that? And I will defend that. And I will always stand up for indigenous peoples and their lives and a way of life that was lost. They would never have done this to this planet. No. They, these were the medicine keepers, the wisdom keepers. And thank God governments now are absolutely going back to indigenous elders members of the community and saying what can we do yeah well out listening yeah right out east there's the the iroquois and the haudenosaunee like principle of seven generations and it's that thinking of like what are the act like my actions today 
what is the implications of my actions seven generations from now? And there would be no mass agricultural, mass animal consumption market if we as non-Indigenous people adopted that Indigenous principle and said, hey, what are my actions today going to have? Like, what's the implications, the repercussions of this seven generations down? Oh, yeah. Then CAFOs and industrial agriculture are simply out of the question. It wouldn't exist. And once again, meat was very honored. It was a very special occasion. It was survival in winter time. It was such a fine art of what they did and how they protected their communities. But you know, here we are, and and I hope that people like Greta Thunberg and Genesis Butler and some of these young people advocating for a plant-based world. Whenever you have the majority of people doing something, then you see big, big changes. Yeah. You know, I think no matter what happens a thousand years from now, you're going to have, even if it's somehow very, very frowned upon to eat a pig, I think you'll have people doing it. You're just going to have people that, yeah, I know where we can get some pork chops. Don't worry. <laughs> I know a guy. And so it's, it all, but we need most of the world to get on board with meat, eating mostly plants. So once again, you got to meet people where they are. Yeah. There's so much food insecurity on the planet. There's so many problems that we need to solve. Uh, but, you know, you look at what COVID did. Meat is incredibly expensive. Cargill, uh, one of the biggest slaughtering outfits on the planet, in, in Canada certainly, uh, had so many of its foreign immigrant workers sick with COVID. So if you can imagine 350 people sick in one place, think about the cleanliness of this place. Think about the mechanics of what they're doing day in and day out. And think about some of the highest cases of PTSD on the planet are with men and women that work in meat, that work in killing, on the killing floor. Yeah. Uh, they, they, their overturn is unbelievable. They're all striking right now. It might be over, but uh, they pay them very little. And it's, it's people that have English as a second language. Like they're, they're, they don't even really understand it's where they're working. It's where they can work. They want to keep their families. They're, they're, so there's so many problems that are about speciesism too. And it's about mistreating these workers at these factories that really have, it's, it's almost like a form of slavery to me because they, they're in these small towns. That's where they've been sent. And this is where they can work. Here's your choice. It's this or this. So the problems are complicated mm -hmm. and they're very far reaching in, in how we're feeding people and what's happening and the people that are working in those in that environment, I find it heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So it's not this easy, you know, eat carrot, save the world. There's lots of fires to put out, literally. Mm -hmm. But it's the start point that I think frightens everybody from starting. Because they're like, how, how can I change things? You know, just using myself as an example, 
I see what I changed in the last two years. I see what my voice can do, the power of music, whatever. And I'm not really a celebrity celebrity. Like I'm imagine if JLo was doing this or, you know, Adele, imagine if they were on, imagine if Oprah was having this conversation with you, the millions of people that she would influence. But I noticed her too doing a meatless Monday. I was really proud of her. I'm like, yeah, yeah you, you love your stuff. You love your whatever, but she's doing a meatless Monday and, and there's millions of her, her followers that are doing it too. Of course. Yeah, great. Well, uh, I've got one, one more question for you, Jen. Just I being... know I've been, I've been rambling on. I apologize. No, we can listen to you ramble all day. Um, I've got one, one more question for you. And then Dean's got one that we ask all of our, all of our guests. Um, I think, you know, the first step is, is learning. And once you know better, hopefully do be doing better. But yeah. um, I think people can get stuck in kind of a doom and gloom when they do learn things because it can be overwhelming or daunting. Um, for someone that's listened to this and maybe they're feeling, feeling overwhelmed or hopefully they're feeling inspired like, like we do. But what, what gives you hope for the future? What's, can you paint that picture for us? It is difficult to bear witness to change and it is difficult to see cruelty. And it's why we shut our TVs off. We quickly scroll past things that come on our social media. Like, oh, I can't see that. I do it too. But sometimes I do pause to look at what it is and understand it. I, I believe in the spirit of every living thing. And I believe in, I believe in human beings. I believe in their goodness. I believe that there's more good people than bad people. I believe that habits can change, cultural habits. Um, I, I just believe we have the capacity to move forward, be adaptable, um, one little thing at a time. We've seen so much positivity this last couple of years, communities coming together, people feeding each other, doing lunch programs, you know, food banks having this outpouring of goodwill. We watched in Abbotsford people helping each other, people helping farmers to get their, their animals to higher ground. We saw, you know, a lot of very concerned people crying over their lost livestock, you know. It, it's, it's ironic because, yeah, these animals are going to die anyway, but it's, it's all those habitual things that are ingrained in us. This is how my dad made his living. This is how my grandfather made his living. You know, and instead of having the government, you know, actively try and replace all these animals, let's rethink what we're going to do with that valley. Let's rethink how you go forward. Good things come from bad things. Hmm. And it's always these life-changing, horrible situations that push humanity forward. But hope, my gosh, hope is, is abundant. It's certainly not a strategy for change, but it is, um, it's a byproduct of respecting other people, understanding other people. I don't want to judge other people. Listen, if you're going to have a steak for dinner tonight with your kids, I'm not judging you at all. I totally get it. And, but dang it, if you guys can do mushrooms on toast on a Sunday afternoon, how awesome. Every meal, there's varying statistics, but one plant-based meal saves a week, saves 135 animals their lives. So it, just think of that, just like a, an order of wings is 
12 wings? That's not 12 chickens. It's probably 24 chickens. The likelihood of both wings coming from that chicken, slim to none. <laughs> but if you can do cauliflower wings at Earl's next time you're out, there you go, Earl's. There's a little plug for Earl's. I'm proud of every major restaurant chain out there that has got a tiny little box off in the right-hand corner somewhere that has plant-based options. We didn't see that 12 months ago. So, wow. Before we were like, ah, uh, can I get a side salad? Do you, can I get that without the blah? Do you have, what, what's on your, can I just get a plain baked potato? <laughs> can I, we all know it. We've all been there. And now we're like, oh shit, I'll have your broccoli uh, tempeh bowl, please. With the, I, it's just, it's a marvel of how disaster can be magical. Mm because it shifts us. And you can bet right now in British Columbia, there will be farms that do not go back to what they did. Yeah. Their losses are too great. And I think it was difficult seeing their animals die. Uh, I just, I believe that. I don't believe there was one family going, oh, well, I think there has been so much tears and so much grief, but that's what we have to shift. Yeah. So why are we doing it anyway? Yeah. Maybe they shouldn't be there in the first place. It's one thing to drown a bunch of corn. It's painful, but there's no screaming. <laughs> it's true. I heard Let's uh, get the corn to higher ground. Yeah. <laughs> Save the corn. Save the corn. We'll take them. I'll get the I'll get the boat. <laughs> Did I, I heard a farmer speaking on, on our national radio, the CBC, and he was devastated at the loss of uh, his livestock. His and uh, was not what was really interesting is his his devastation and his heartbreak was so genuine because it was not, not economic based. And the irony, as you had mentioned, was like those cows were gonna be sent to slaughter anyhow. But I wonder if there's a if there's like a bit of a revelation or awakening of an awareness for him to be like, oh my God, I cared so much about these animals that when they died by natural disaster, <laughs> ergo by way of climate change, I was so upset. But like they would have been killed anyway, and it it was interesting that it wasn't it wasn't just conditioning. It's and then but those those things do change, and you know, it is it's. There's, there's so many paradoxical, conflicting things that are running beside each other. Yeah. All right. That is, that is, we, we are learning, and I, and I do, and I do. I think people are good, and I think mm. I'm, I'm not, I don't want to get into fights with people. I never want to tell people what to eat. I want them to, I want to encourage people that their efforts are never wasted. That one spaghetti meal with some tomato sauce and, and some garlic toast, man, it is. it may seem like a small thing, but it's a very big thing to 135 animals. That's just it. And so never think, you, you're mighty. It's like an election. You think, oh, my vote. What, what, is, what does my vote mean? What, what does it even matter? And boy, does it ever matter because we're seeing elections won by 30 and 40 votes. Yeah. Matter. I matter. Dean, Zach, you guys are you guys are changing it. You're giving people like me an opportunity to 
you know, plead and beg and all <laughs> those things, but to hopefully spark a few people out there to reconsider what's yeah. on the plate. We love it. Uh, Jen, thank you so much for your time, for, for being with us. Um, you're, you're an advocate, obviously, of animal rights. Um, and just as uh, good food, good food, yes, and someone who brings obviously yeah. <laughs> your passion to to everything you do from from your music, which we first kind of knew you as the musician, and now to see you pivot and become this person who is a champion of other things. And you had mentioned a number of times, you know, it's the young people and it's the next generation. And I just want to give kudos to you that it's like you know, it's also people like you who may, may see yourself as like, you know, not, not as important or not as relevant, but to a whole bunch of people, I think you're, you're very relevant and very meaningful and you are a voice and an advocate that represents, you know, a different uh, group, a different generation, even of people and that you can, you can appeal to people and say, listen, it's never too late. And you can become a passionate advocate that even is even doing more work than, you know, some of the youthful, full of energy and whatever angst that it might but i just want i'm leaning into the kids man i'm watching them going they're so cool and and so amazing and yeah like i I don't know it's all doable don't don't lose faith and 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 good good thing the best is yet to come i i I believe that people do want to you know walk around in trees and see a nice river going by and enjoy the outdoors and and they love animals. People love animals. Uh, it's that that one little strand that somehow has separated domesticated protein animals from the ones that we've known to, you know, look at with such reverence and such majesty and respect. Yeah. Um, life is so precious, and uh, everything wants to live everything wants to live um and that's that's something that happens to you when you get older too so Mm -hmm. to all you 25 year olds out there right now that don't really understand that yet you will wake up one day i hope and have the privilege of being 65 the privilege and you'll understand i wish i would have done this sooner Mm -hmm. i wish i would have and that's what i wish i wish i would have but I didn't. I was doing all those things. I, I knew, but I, I, I set it aside. I set it aside, and it's something I try and atone for every day. Maybe that's why my advocacy is a little louder every year. But um, yeah, I, I did it. You know, when I was a kid, we used to shoot gophers by the hundreds. I ran around when I was nine, ten years old with a twenty-two rifle. Um, I didn't have that reverence for life. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I wake up here, I live west of the city, and I have a herd of deers here every day. Yeah. They always, they always make they good appearances on your Instagram. Don't wonder. You know, 20, 20 miles from here is a hunting ground. 20 miles from here, they will lose their lives. Yeah. It's hunting season, I think, until the end of yeah. January. I, I can't remember when it is, but. There's a lot of hunting in Alberta. I know it's a safe haven at Jan's house. It is a safe haven here. If I could rope them in, I would. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, we've got stuff to do, but we're getting there. Don't lose faith. Enjoy yeah. Your- All right, Jan. Well, um, we've got one 
one one short question that I'm we ready. end the podcast with, um, and just kind of echoing Dean, so grateful for the message that you're sharing, the space that you're holding, and and using your platform for good. Um, Dean, take it away. Let's uh, let's land this this uh, this plane. This plane. We'll land the plane and it is not carrying any horses. No horses on this plane. It is a plant plane. Okay, so Jan, we uh, we started this podcast uh, because we had the intention that we wanted to have really powerful um, conversations with inspiring people like yourself, uh, doing good and important work in the world. And so we called the podcast a little more good because that's what we we want to see, we want to do in the world. But we always ask each of our guests, what does that mean to you, Jan Arden? to be or to do a little more good? I really still believe so much in music and the arts uh, and being able to mentor young people. I have had so many conversations with young writers and young musicians and they're at that crossroads where they feel like they've been trying. You know, I've been trying for three years. <laughs> and I'm like, well, <laughs> keep trying <laughs> because it is in the work that the magic lies it's not it's not uh there's not an award in the world or anything like that that's it, it's just writing music and writing songs and i really still believe that is much bigger than ever be because talent's so subjective you know everyone put 10 people in the room to look at a painting they're all they're all going to have completely different opinions on how much they like it how much they hate it so yeah i, I i'm so i still lean so much into art and, and creators and people who write books. I love to read. Um, you know, I just, it's one of my favorite things to do. And I think reading a good book has saved me many a time to find that reason to kind of keep going forward and, and the art of storytelling, you know, all of us have a story to tell. And I think everyone needs to understand how important their stories are and that they're really special and is insignificant as we all feel some days we're just not we're an equal really powerful shard of the universe and we have we are as here as any planet on any star in the sky we hold as much energy and importance and grace and it is a it is fantastical what we are and what this mm. is so yeah. I love it. Thanks. Thank, thank you, Jan. It was such a pleasure. I hope to meet you in person one of these days. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Next time you're in town, we'll get together for a juice or smoothie. And uh, I would love that. <laughs> we can uh, spread the word of, of horseshit, maybe put some t-shirts on and uh, share the good word together. Well, I'm going to post some stuff just about these. Uh, I, I put something on my story today just about the, the dates in January where we have a chance to have the government look at this and, and, and to legislate change. It's not like they don't want to do it. They promised us they would. So if we can get this wrapped up, I mean, I'll even be lofty here and say 18 months. Mm -hmm. Put them out of business so that they need to move on. It'll be, it'll be a victory of... Uh... 2022 on it oh my gosh and then and then we will start going after domestic slaughter and how we can at least get some you know better laws in place but thank you thank you guys zach and dean so much and and we will um we'll meet soon and i'll i'll, I'll make you guys a beyond meat uh cheeseburger tart 
We'll hold, we'll hold you to that, John. We'll hold you to oh, that. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for your time. Bye for now. Bye, John. Well, there you go. I mean, it's a power, powerhouse. Powerhouse. Right? She is, she is a woman of passion. She's a woman who is just uh, committed to creating a better future for all beings and people on this planet. And I just, it's, how can you not get excited about that? How can you not want to join in that? I'm happy that woman's got a mic because those are the people that you want to have their voices amplified. My goodness, yes. Whether it's singing or talking about, you know, animal rights, animal advocacy, you know, climate change and the planet. Um, I'm, I'm listening, Jan. Yeah. We're so happy to be able to have people like her that we can like learn from and just be encouraged by, right. To, to go out and continue and explore new ways to like participate in this important work. And yeah, if you want to check out more, uh, I mean, she posts a lot on her Instagram, just uh, search up Jan Arden, J A N N A R D N. Um, you can follow her there and obviously check out, um, horseshit ca as well to learn more about what she was talking about in terms of the the buying and selling of horses out of canada and keep an eye on her instagram because there is that court date that she mentioned coming up i think it's slated for like january 24th which would be a few weeks from now so if you are interested in learning more about that i mean follow along with her and if you're in the vancouver area there might even be an opportunity to connect and participate in sharing uh, being one of those 80,000 plus people who signed a petition to, to maybe show up and even make a difference just by, by being a voice in the street. We'll see what happens. There we go. Well, if you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did, please do share it with a friend, share it with a family member, post it up on your IG, your Twitter, your Facebook, your LinkedIn, your YouTube. Discord. Put it up on your Discord, your school <laughs> bulletin. Whatever. Scream it, scream it from your soapbox. That's right. You know, however you can share, please do, because we appreciate all of you helping us, you know, share uh, these awesome conversations mm-hmm. that we have the privilege of having. And uh, furthermore, if you're feeling extra kind, uh, throw up a like, a review, a subscription, any of those things. It helps uh, us in spreading the word, the good word of a little more good. Um, yeah. Jan Arden, what a treat. So cool. And just as a very last thing, um, just want to give her a shout out. She's someone who's still doing amazing work in the world as, as an advocate, but uh, for, for animal rights, but even as you heard, still loves the arts. Um, she has a new memoir that you can check out. It's called if I knew then, and she's got a new album coming out. Damn. Still making the music, new album coming out in January. So be sure to keep an eye on, uh, on her social spaces and on your streaming platform. She's got a podcast too. She does. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the Jan Arden podcast. Yeah. All of this information, if you're interested in going deeper, obviously, um, janarden.com is the place to go. Music, tour, news, all of that, photos, podcasts. Thanks, Jan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So be sure to be sure to follow along there and um, support her as she is an advocate of this important work. So. All right. Thanks, y'all. Till next week. Peace. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.